Thank you, guys. I just want to say, too, just firsthand, what a blessing it's been to have my little girl, Olive, uh, just come underneath the, 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 the pastoring of Mary Jo and, and how lucky we are to have Erica continue that. We just, we just have a really amazing children's ministry, and so much of that is because of you guys, the volunteers we have, but a lot of it is because of the leadership that Mary Jo and Erica have provided. So speaking of Olive, kind of switching gears, uh, my wife Laura and I have noticed and learned something about Olive recently. We have learned that Olive is an amazing liar. <laughs> She's like fantastic at it. It's, it's unreal. We don't know where she picked it up. My, my parents uh, are saying it's payback. I don't know what that means. Uh, but, but she's just, she's so good at it. Like she can, she can dial up tears. Like she can bring fake tears in. And it is frustrating because like if you push a little bit, I'll say, Olive, are you telling the truth? And she'll go, no. But like before we ask her if she's telling the truth, she is just... She's so good at it. And, and so we're teaching her. We're, we're working with her on telling the truth. We're talking about the boy who cried wolf. And we're praying for her and with her. And we're, we're disciplining her. All those things. But, you know, it's getting better. But it is difficult to teach your kid to tell the truth and to be honest when we're living in a culture where truth doesn't really matter. Where being honest is not as virtuous as it once was. And if you, if you, if you don't believe me, uh, pay attention to politics for like 15 seconds. That's all you have to do. Watch the news and you can just, it is lie after lie. And we just accept it. I, I know when I was 18... I was going to vote in my first election, and I was, you know, I, I, you know, it was my civic duty. I was taking it very seriously, and I, I, I watched my first presidential debate, and the first guy comes up, and he was talking about some, I don't even know what he's talking about, some policy, and he said, you know, here, here are these numbers that we see, and under my policy, here, here's the numbers that we are going to see. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. He's got my vote. Sounds amazing. And the other guy comes up and he says, oh, those numbers, they're not true. The numbers we actually see are these numbers, and under his plan, they're actually going to get worse. And I think, wow, maybe he's got my vote. I don't know. They both, and, 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 and really, issue after issue, both people were saying complete opposite things and presenting it as truth. We watch the news and we, we hear stories and depending on what network you watch, they're told in completely different ways, spun in different ways. And, and I don't know if, if you are like me, I just want someone to tell me the truth. It's difficult. I came across this prayer by this, uh, this guy, I don't know who he is, but his name is Reverend Fred Holman. And I really liked this prayer. It was, it was regarding this issue in politics and he, he says this, he says, Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other side just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling only half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the two good halves together 
In Jesus' name, amen. God, I like that prayer. I'm going to start saying that prayer often. But don't we find that to be true? We read, we read you know, the, the, the news and it'll tell us, you know, education in America is, is awful. And then this one will say, studies show education is, is the best it's ever been. Or, or you know, studies show our, our economy and the job market is booming. And then studies show the job market is at an all-time low. And, you know, eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. And, and you know, it's, it's just, I don't know what to believe because honesty at one point was such a virtue, and we, we've heard those quotes, honesty is, is the best policy, but it is becoming less and less the policy for our culture. And so it is difficult to teach your little girl to tell the truth. But we all deeply desire to be told the truth. We deeply desire to have people we can trust and to, to have people who are honest with us, people who are faithful, that keep their word. I was recently having lunch with a friend and we, we had been talking for like an hour and, and then he looked at me and he said, hey Jay, can I, can I be honest with you? And I thought, you know, was the rest of the conversation, were you not being honest with me? But I was just even thinking about that. I was like, yes, would you please be honest with me? That's all I want. That's all I want. We, we, we know that relationships are built on honesty. And can I be honest with you guys? <laughs> it's kind of a joke. I think all of us, including myself, struggle with being honest 100% of the time. Psalm 116 tells us that all mankind are liars. Yikes. The Bible tells us that, that we are not truthful, that we, we stretch the truth, that we lie, we, we don't keep our word. Sometimes in very big ways. I know, I know maybe some of you are, are living underneath the weight of a, of a huge lie or something that you are just not being honest about. And that's heavy. And I just, I just want to say before we go further, oh, would you, would you step into the light? There's so much freedom in the light when we get out from underneath of a big lie, of, of, a, of a big thing that we are just not being truthful about. But for so many of us, it's, it's these little lies, right? That we just don't, we don't really count them as lies, right? I remember when I was younger, uh, my dad has a, has a thing about changing the oil in your car. He's, that's what, he's very passionate about making sure the oil is changed. I remember one time he asked me, he said, hey, Jay, have you changed your oil? And I knew I was going to do it later in the day, so I said, yeah, I did. I changed it. I hadn't, but I was going to. We tell those little lies. Like we, we tell our boss, yep, I finished that report, and we know I'm almost finished with it. We lie to our spouses. You know, we, 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 we don't tell them about how we stopped by McDonald's on the way home from, from work. 
or the, the little bit of money we put on that credit card that we hope they just don't see. We say, oh, no, I've had those, I've had those shoes for a long time. <laughs> Am I touching a nerve with some people? <laughs> maybe it's not an outright lie, but maybe, maybe we make commitments. Maybe we say, yeah, I will be there. I will do that thing for you. You can count on me. And then we just don't follow through with our commitments. We say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll help you move. And, and then we hope they forgot. And maybe in business, you've, you've said phrases like, well, there's, there, was, there wasn't a contract. Do you have that in writing? We don't honor the commitments that we've made and then that's just an, a different way of being untruthful, about, uh, of lying. And guys, I don't know about you, but uh, when I was working through this message, I was getting convicted about all of the little ways that I just don't fully tell the full truth. George MacDonald, one of my favorite Christian thinkers and writers, he was a huge influence on C.S. Lewis, said this. He said, I always try, I think I do, to be truthful. All the same, I tell a great many lies. I think, I th I think that's, many of us can relate to that. We say, yeah, I read that book. Or we laugh at a joke that we didn't really get. But telling the truth, being honest, is something that we deeply desire, but I, I, would, I would submit that we all have issues with doing it ourselves all of the time. And so today, we're going to be continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus teaching his disciples what it looks like to be a follower of him. What it looks like to be a disciple. This is in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse 33 into verse 37. And if you need a Bible, we have some on the stage here and, and uh, back on the sound booth. But I'm going to just pray and invite the Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for being here with us. We thank you for your word, and Lord, we, we pray that you would speak to us as we, as we look at it. In your name, amen. All right, so I'm just going to jump in. Verse 33 says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All right, so let's stop there. Before we jump in and kind of uh, unpack what Jesus is talking about, let's, let's, let's define a couple things real fast. Jesus uses a couple words here. He uses the word oath, and he uses the word vow. And they're not exactly the same thing, but sometimes they are used kind of inter interchangeable in Scripture. And, and what, they, what they essentially mean is it means a promise. It means a solemn promise, a commitment that you make. 
So when we hear or read about an oath or a vow, you can, you can, just, you can exchange a, a promise or a commitment that you make. And so what is Jesus getting at talking about oaths and vows? Someone, someone read this and, and they would take it at, at face value. They would read this very, very literally and think that Jesus is saying all oaths, all commitments are bad. Don't swear an oath ever. Don't ever make a vow. We should never, uh, we should never swear an oath. And, th- and that could be. George Fox was the founder of the Quakers. He famously said we, that, that a Christian should never swear an oath. And actually, laws were changed because of his stand that he wouldn't swear an oath um, when he was you know, taking the stand in court. And so he would take this very literally. But but. I'm not sure if we should read this that way. And here's why. So if we read the Bible, if we look all through the, even starting in the Old Testament, we see oaths made by men to other men. We see oaths made from men to God. We see God actually telling people to swear an oath. We see even God himself making oaths to to humans. And then into the New Testament, we we can read in Revelation 10, where uh, angels make an oath. We read about Paul at least five times uh, making an oath. We can read about Jesus in Matthew 26 actually testifying under an oath. And so seeing all of these examples of oaths in the Bible leads me to, to believe that Jesus is, is using hyperbole here. Jesus is trying to emphasize something that maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, read super literally or maybe we don't totally understand at face value. See, I don't think Jesus is saying that oaths are bad. Jesus is not saying never make a commitment. I think he's trying to make a point. And the point is this, that that when we look back historically, if we look at like first century Israel, uh, there were were two different kinds of oaths that you could make. There were two different kinds of categories of oaths. One category of oaths were ones that were absolutely binding, that you weren't allowed to break. And then there was another category of oaths that were not binding, that you could break if you wanted. So for, for a Jew at that time, especially the Pharisees, they would say that uh, the ones that were absolutely binding was an oath that contained the name of God in it. That if you made an oath that contained God, uh, God's name, that it contained God somehow, that you weren't allowed to break that oath. But if you made an oath that involved any other thing, you were allowed to break it. And they used this to deceive people. This was a, a method of deception. They would, uh, uh, you know, basically it was their way of crossing their fingers behind their back and say, yeah, I, I swear an oath. And then when it was time to pay up or to fulfill the oath, they would say, I actually didn't make that oath before God. And they would even take it further. They would make it more and more tricky. They started saying, I make an oath before heaven. I make an oath before heaven. And people are like, okay, 
They made one of those unbreakable oaths. And then, and then all of a sudden, they say, well, technically, I made it to heaven and not God. So I'm going to break that oath. And it was, again, it was their way of crossing their fingers behind their back, saying, gotcha. I don't have to fulfill my commitments. And so Jesus comes on the scene here, and and one of the main things he's trying to get across was this whole practice is, is, is deceptive and not from me. And my followers will not participate in in this kind of practice. My followers will not make an oath that they're not going to fulfill. And And he makes this statement where he says, he goes through these things where he says, heaven, if you make an oath before heaven, well, that's God's throne. And if you make a, a, an oath to earth of anything on earth, well, that's, that's God's footstool. And if you swear an oath to Jerusalem, that's his city, and you can't swear an oath on your head because you can't even change the color of your hair. This was before hair club for men. Um, but he was saying, you know, even those things, you're not in control of that. God's in control of that. And so, so anything that you swear an oath on belongs to God, so essentially you're swearing an oath to God. Jesus is saying, don't, don't agree to things, don't commit to things that you do not intend to uh, fulfill your promise. That when we make commitments, we need to honor those commitments. When we vow to something, when we make an oath, when we, when we say, I will do this, we need to honor those things. Now, now, now let me say that there are times, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, when, when you make a wedding vow, that's a, that's a vow that we believe is for, for all time, that you, you, you're saying, till death do we part. But there are times where it is appropriate, like we talked about last week, to, 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 to leave a marriage. Especially if someone else has already broken the wedding vow. Or if you make a, let me, let me, let me, let me make a, like even, take it down even a, a, a further level. If you, you know, say, I'm gonna help you move. And then your wife goes into labor. You don't have to say, well, I've made this commitment to help this guy move, and so, you know, my first son, I won't be there. Like, obviously, there are t- God is a gracious God. And so, so yeah, there are times where, where if we make a commitment that God is like, listen, it's okay. But the principle stands that when we commit to something, when we, when we say, I am going to do this, that we should honor that commitment. Because I believe that there is power. There's actually, I believe, something supernatural that happens when you make a commitment. When you say, I will do this. The Bible talks about vows and oaths actually having power in the supernatural. It tells us that what we bind on earth, we bind in heaven, and what we loose on earth, we loose in heaven. And it talks about things that we do on earth, the words that we say, have power in the supernatural. 
Proverbs verse 18 tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. What that's telling us is that our words have power. That it's not just what we do, but what we say actually has power. And I believe something supernatural happens when we make an oath or a vow. And right off the bat, let me just say that this is really mysterious. There's a lot of mystery involved in this, and there's far more that I don't understand about this than I do understand. And so before we go deeper into looking at the power behind oaths and vows, I just want to say, I, I, I don't hear a lot of teachings on this, but oftentimes when I do hear teachings on the power of oaths and vows, it feels oppressive, it feels scary, and it almost feels like magic. Like if you say these words, then you have to say these words to break that, you know, and, 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 and I, I don't see a lot of biblical evidence of that. And so I just want to say that right off the bat. But I do think that the commitments we make when we say, I'm going to do this, or I will never do this, that there's power in those things. And I'm saying this for two reasons. I say this because I think we should be uh, very careful before we make a vow, before we make a commitment, before we say, yes, this is what I'm going to do, or I, you know, I, I will never do this thing. Like, I've heard, uh, or in myself, I've said things like, I will never be like that person. or I will never let someone do that to me again. And those things can sound harmless, but I believe there's a lot of power in them. And I believe they have power because it's assuming control that we don't have. That actually, it, it's taking the control away from God, and when we say, I will never let someone hurt me again, even though that, that sounds positive, we are saying, I am on the throne. And God is not on the throne. And there's power in those commitments. So, so when we, before we make a commitment, we need to think, is this in the will of God? And is this taking power that I don't have away from God? But also, let me say this, I believe that God is so gracious and so generous that when we make a bad vow, when we make a commitment that, that we shouldn't make, God is so faithful to free us from those things. I, I, I knew a woman one time who was dating a guy that was horribly abusive. And just, just not, not, a, not a good boyfriend and just really hurt her in, in a lot of different ways. And she got out of the relationship and she, she, she made a vow. She said, I will never let someone hurt me like that again. I'll never let a man hurt me like that again. 
She also said things, I'll never, I'll never let a man close to me like that, close enough to me to, to do that ever again. Years later, she, she, got, she gets married, and there is so much, um, so many issues in their marriage with, with connection and intimacy, and um, there was just a lot of turmoil in their marriage. And because the Lord is so gracious, he reminded her of these vows that she made. And she said, you know what, I, re- I renounce those things. I, I renounce those vows. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, when she renounced those vows, they just experienced so much freedom in their marriage. Like a connection like they've never experienced before. That, God is so generous and gracious that if we say, hey God, you know, I, if I've made any vows, if I've, if I've committed to something that's not within my power to commit to, Lord, would you, I just renounce those things. Would you free me from those things? Because those vows, what they end up doing is they become bondage to us. And it gives the enemy a stronghold in our life. And when we say, no, I renounce those things, God sets us free from those, those things. And, and let me just say, from personal experience, I have had that happen numerous times. There are things in my life that I've said, I will never do this, or I, I'm going to not let that ever happen to me. And, and, and working through renouncing those things has brought so much freedom in my life. But again, let me just say, it's, this is not a magical thing. This is not saying if you've made this vow, here's the prayer that you need to pray. And if you've made this vow, you need to say this set of words. I just think God is really faithful. And it's far more relational than it is magical. And again, if you have questions about this, I encourage you to reach out to a pastor, reach out to me. I'd I'd love to talk to you about this. But I just want to say up front, it is mysterious. I don't have all the answers for it. it. There's a lot of mystery. I don't understand how it all works. But really the thing that I think Jesus is, is really driving at when he's talking about uh, the, these oaths and, 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 and um, simply saying yes or no is this. Who, who is Jesus talking to in this sermon? Who is he talking to? Yeah, his followers. He's talking to his disciples, the ones who have said yes to him, the ones who have said, I am following you, Jesus. I'm giving my life to you. And Jesus is saying, guys, I want my followers to be people who are known for how honest they are. I want my disciples, the ones who said yes to me, to to, to be known for for being trustworthy. That they wouldn't have to say, no, 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 no. you got to believe me this time. Believe me this time. I'm telling the truth. Or no, I swear, I swear. I know I've lied about lots of stuff, but you, you gotta believe me. I think he's saying, I want my followers, just when they say yes, people believe them. And when they say no, people are like, I trust them. In the book of James, it, take, it takes this and says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
that if we commit to something, that we would, we would honor that commitment. I remember the first small group I ever started was back in high school, and there was this, these people who had come to know Jesus in that small group. They were, they were you know, other, some of my high school friends, and uh, they were dating at the time. And they had been a Christian, they had been Christians for a few months, and they came to like confess something to me. They wanted to share, like, the, hey, we messed up, and we just wanted to confess, and can you promise not to tell anyone? I said, I won't tell anyone. And later, I, you know, participated in some good Christian gossip with some other leaders, and under the guise of, oh, we should be praying for these people, or hey, I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, Joe and, and Sally. We should, be, we should be praying for them. And I remember it got back to them that I had, you know, broken my word, that I had, I had talked to people about that, and they were just so hurt. They were so hurt. And I remember uh, the, the girl said, I just feel like you're a hypocrite. And it stung really stung, but man, it was, it was true. And one of the most common critiques that, that followers of Jesus get, one of the most common things that, that people associate with Christians in the church is, is that we, we are hypocrites. That we say one thing, but we do another. That we say these sins are, are really bad, but these sins are okay. And we're not intellectually honest about what we believe. There's, there's a dishonesty that we have. We don't, we don't live the things that we, you know, we, don't, we don't practice what we preach. And oftentimes when people tell me, man, the church is full of hypocrites, I say, yep. But, but I, I think the whole world is full of hypocrites. And luckily, uh, Here's what I think Jesus is, 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 is getting at in, in the whole Sermon on the Mount, really. He keeps on over and over setting the standards. You know, week after week, we've been talking about these standards that God has for us and that we just cannot measure up. That, golly, we, we will never be, you know, sexually pure enough because of what goes on in our brains. We'll never be honest enough. We'll, we'll never you know, have our anger under control. We'll never have all of these things worked out. We'll never quite measure up. And what I think Jesus is doing is I think he's trying to penetrate all of these exterior things and get to the core of what Jesus came to do here on earth. Jesus uh, wants us to know that we will not measure up. We will never be good enough, but he was good enough. And that he is our righteousness. He actually tells us in the book of John that he is our truth. That if we want to be more truthful, the, the key is not, you know, lacing up our bootstraps and trying much harder to always tell the truth. Because I'll tell you what, you're not going to get very far. 
Just like George McDonald said, I try to be honest, but I tell a great many lies. But the thing is, is Jesus cares way more about your insides than your outsides. He cares way more about what's happening in your heart than, than the behaviors in your life. My dad would always say that to me. He'd say, God cares way more about your insides than your outsides, Jay. And I, I believe on the inside, what leads us to dishonesty, what leads us to not being truthful, is we are not secure in, in, in our identity in, in Jesus. Our identity and how God sees us. Let me tell you it like this. I think that if we knew, if you knew how like crazy in love God was with you, if you only knew that God like says, you're the apple of my eye, I'm head over heels for you, like exactly the way you are, I just love you so much. You're my son, you're my daughter. If we were secure in that knowledge, uh, I, I don't think lying would be that big of an issue for us anymore. Because at the root of lying is, is one of typically two things. It's either an insecurity, like we're not secure in who we are, so we lie. We say, I don't want people to really see how broken I am. I don't want people to really see what's happening. I'm going to lie to protect myself because I'm, I, I'm, I'm insecure. I don't want people to see. I don't want them to know the things that I've done. Or it comes from pride, like an inflated ego where we think we are better than other people. And I think I'm going to lie to get what I want because I'm more important than that person. I deserve. I deserve that promotion. I deserve to have more money on my tax returns. So I'll lie. But the security in knowing that we are so loved and, and accepted by God, if we really knew that, I don't think we'd feel insecure or prideful. I think we, the, we would begin to be transformed. So I say all this so that you know, if you examine your life and you feel, golly, I am not a very honest person. What, what typically happens is we feel shame, we feel like, oh, I gotta, I gotta work on that and try harder. But I'm telling you, stop trying so hard not to sin and start gazing on your, your, your heavenly Father. It all starts with intimacy. It all starts with relationship with him. John Wimber put it this way. He says, it seems the more I think about not sinning, the more I sin. But the more I think about just loving Jesus, the less I seem to sin. Falling in love seems to be the key. And, and I promise you guys, it is the key. See, Jesus wants his followers to, to be a light on the hill. That we would be so honest that people would say, I'm attracted to that. That in this culture where we never know what was true and what is untrue, that people would see the way the church works and they would say, oh, I want that. 
I really, really, really want that. That's the call that, that Jesus has on our lives, but, but we can't ever achieve that unless it starts with falling in love with our Jesus. The obedience that God is calling us to, it comes from intimacy with him. And it leads to dependency on him, that we know we can trust him. And that, that, that forms into obedience. He transforms us from the inside out, not the outside in. So the way I want to end tonight is just taking a moment where we can just sit in the love of God. Because I just, I feel ever since we began worship this morning, I felt the presence of God, the love of God here so strongly. And maybe for you, the biggest issue you're facing, maybe not uh, being honest, maybe you're facing some other issue in your life. But I just, I want to tell you, every issue we're facing, the, the key is not figuring out how to get over the hurdle. The key is not focusing on the issue, focusing on the problem. God is inviting us to take our eyes off the problem and onto the solution, which is, which is Jesus. And so let's just take a moment and, and, and just be quiet and sit in his love. So I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. Why don't we stand up, actually? I said sit, but let's stand. I was being dishonest, I guess.